Garfiri Japan. Faders, welcome to yet another action-packed episode of Got Fitted Japan. I'm your host, Johnny. And I'm Tom Tom Tokyo. And I'm Jeremy Deschner. That's right. And as you find folks know, Got Fitted Japan is about three dudes. Booze. Oh, I'm opening one up now. Japan in the news. Fantastic. Tom, I love to hear that you're drinking right now. It's like, what, 10 o'clock in the morning? You got to work in, in about an hour. <laughs> I'm faders. Uh, I'm no, 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 no. I have to do boring office work after that, which is why I'm not going to get too south. But it's guess what? Happy St. Patrick's Day, motherfuckers. Is it St. Patrick's Day today? Is it really? Yes. Yep. Is it really St. Patrick's know, Day? Germany, I is almost, St. Yes, it is. It's the 17th, dude. I I'm almost. In Japan, forgot. bro. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Like, well, I I, I'm, no wishing, I, okay. I'm wishing everybody a happy St. Patrick's Day. Um, it's probably going to suck for everybody because what's the point of St. Patrick's Day if you can't go to a British pub and basically pound pints of Guinness and get fucked up with your buddies? Like, you know, oh, what's the fucking true. point? That but, is definitely I got to keep the tradition. Like, oh, shit, I'm not wearing green. Fuck it. Dropping the ball left, right, and center, Dropping man. The ball. I'll oh, throw man. some of the green later. Okay, well, all right. Oh, well, I, I guess yeah, there's, there's, there's a little bit of green on my beanie. Okay, whatever. But, um... Faders, I have to say, I am definitely dropping the ball. It is 10 a.m. and I'm not drinking any booze. And in Thank fact, you. I've got my coffee on. But I got to say, this coffee is strong as hell and as black as my heart. So, uh, compi to coffee? Coffee compi? Coffee compi. <laughs> All right, Faders. And today's actually a very, very, very special episode. In today's episode, we have a, a person that needs no introduction, a person that's taken MMA to levels beyond our imagination, a person that's been in the ring more than, well, I don't know, more than Germany, maybe more than Germany, but he's been in the ring quite a bit. And he's a guy that I am honored, that we're all honored to have on the show. Ensign Inoue, thank you for being here on Got Fitted Japan this early morning. Right on. Thank you for having me, guys. All right, I just want to start off by saying I've never been in the ring. <laughs> I've never had the honor of being in the ring. And uh, Ensign is a pioneer of MMA. Not only did he bring BJJ to Hawaii, he also brought it to Japan. So we'll hopefully we'll get into a little bit of that today and talk about how how that, that worked out. All right. And I've never been in the ring either. <laughs> never. Look at these baby hands. <laughs> <laughs> never in the ring. Always on the mic or in a bottle. <laughs> yeah, same here, same yeah. here. All right, let's <laughs> let's hop into it a little bit. Let's talk about Instant's career. So, um, just just I'm going to read a little bit off my notes that I took. I'm, I've known, I'll, I'll be honest, I've known Instant. I've seen him around for for years, and I trained with one of his black belts, uh, Mr. Osawa. 
Yeah. Kyotaka Osawa. Yeah. We train at uh, Extreme Jiu Jitsu. Yeah. So he's always, he's been a friend of mine for years and years and years as well. So kind of in the same family, a little bit in the same family. Yeah. So same thank you. Age. Yeah. Right there on the edge. But uh, Ensign's been around since um, his career started in 95 as, as, as a fighter. And he, and he was active all the way up to 2010. Uh, before becoming a fighter, he was the Japanese racquetball champion. Uh, very good at racquetball. And um, his his career in fighting stands at 12-8-0. Is that correct? I'm not sure. Yeah, that sounds pretty close. <laughs> that's a great That's a great career, man. So, uh, Ensign, let's talk about, like, um, tell us a little bit about how you, you brought – BJJ into Japan and into Hawaii and tell us about your lineage. I know your lineage is from Carlson Gracie down to John Lewis yeah. and then into you, correct? Yeah. So let us know a little bit about like what, what started you in fighting and, and like um, also how, how did you bring it to, to Hawaii and how did you bring it to Japan? Well, started, uh, I started training in martial arts because in, in Hawaii back in the day, there was a lot of street fights. So, you know, in order to learn to defend yourself, you know, I, I always wanted to, be able to protect whoever I was with and uh, you know just in case I got jumped or I mean if even if it's a, a multiple attackers at least if you know how to defend yourself you have a better chance so I went through all the searching of different martial arts tried Aikido tried Karate tried Taekwondo Hapkido you know was trying to go through all of it and I noticed a lot of it was um, almost 90% impractical for the streets and there are things that you could take from each martial art. And uh, I remember walking to the University of Hawaii campus in college when I was in the university. And there was a table set up. There's a Brazilian guy standing by the table with a video running of street fights. And Stai stopped over, watched it. And um, apparently it was uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. And the guy's name was Homolo Barros. And he uh, he's now a current uh, black belt with Hickson. Wow. But he... Uh, convinced me to come to the class and um my the funniest thing about that is when i first went to the class they did all self-defense and i was like wait okay i want to see what i saw in the video i want to see the, the street fighting that they had and it was just like you if he grabs you here you swing your arm and do this and it was like really stuff like uh this is impractical so after class i went up to the, the instructor house and gracie asked him if i could uh roll with one of the guys and i did and i got i got submitted like three times straight by mm. choke and it was yeah. like whoa this whole shit this shit is real you know yes yeah, and so yeah so i didn't really um bring jiu-jitsu to hawaii but i helped promote it in hawaii oh, i see gracie yeah helson gracie actually brought it to hawaii and he didn't speak english very well so i was like a spokesman for all the seminars and all the lectures we did so I helped promote it a lot. Yeah. Right, so that right. was how, yeah, that's the reason why I started. And that's how, uh, you know, it actually got pretty big in Hawaii. Right. So like um, when you first started and you got, you got submitted like three times, do you remember what, what positions those were or, or did you already, yeah, is that already? Um, well, the guy I was sparring with was uh, Homer. His name was Homero. Okay. And he, he was like, I think he was like 160. I was like 185. And I was thinking, this little guy, there's no way. I mean, I know these guys probably know how to fight, but I've got a lot of street fights. There's no way. Of course, there was no striking. We just wrestled. Right. And we went to the, I mean, I guess, you know, you know, when you're a beginner and you don't really know how dangerous arm bars are and they grab you in the arm and a lot of guys don't tap. 
Right. So I think he actually had enough control to just avoid the arm bars. And he put me in three different, uh, three, the exact same choke from the back. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So he took my back and choked me out. And then I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. One more time. <laughs> he uh. took my back, choked me out. Okay. One more time. Took my back, choked it out. And I was like, holy shit, I got to learn this shit. That's amazing. That's amazing. So did, did you do a lot of training with him from that point forward or how did, how did that go? Because Homero was just a guest. Oh, so he came to surf. He hung out with Helsin. We had, you know, we did the training and two years later when I was a blue belt, I actually got caught Homero in armbar. Oh, that's cool. Kind of like revenge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorta>. <laughs> yeah. And so like, um, so you started, um, you started doing martial arts before your brother, or were you influenced by your brother, uh, Egan? I was influenced by my whole family. My father, my grandfather was a black belt in karate. My mother was a brown belt. Egan became brown belt. And, oh. you know, Egan, um, I'm the first one. I got Egan into professional fighting, mm. but my family, and I guess Egan did it before me. He did karate, and I, I joined karate because Egan, my mom, and my grandfather did it. Yeah. Same as me. Like I always like follow my bigger brother and just like do whatever he did, you know? So I, I just totally understand that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Johnny. So, so basically everybody in your family was involved in martial arts, which meant that you had to be a very, very, very good boy or you had to be very crafty. <laughs> I was not really a good boy. I was a, a real naughty boy. We'd get into trouble <laughs> you know. in school. So my parents had their hands full. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With uh, locks and headlocks, right? <laughs> Get over here. Do your homework. I, I want to ask you about that. Like um, when you started like doing martial arts, how did that change your life in, as far as like street fights and stuff? Did, you, did it really did, you, did it take years to change like your style or did you uh, just start going, oh, I'm going to be able to take these guys down and start beating them on the ground? Well, for the first my first lesson was my karate class. I think um the guy tripped me. I ran out crying and quit and never went back. So that was my first, first taste of martial arts. And I, I, I refused to do martial arts after that. And I, the funny thing is I never remembered my father pressuring me and telling me, Hey, get back in there. You know, if I was a, a father and I had a son that did that, I would think the proper thing would to make him go back and learn not to quit. But man, it was amazing. My father didn't, I don't remember him giving me any pressure about going back okay. or anything, but yeah, I did later on in high school. I, I, because there were a lot of street fights starting, I got, I myself wanted to get into it. And when I started training and realizing, um, you know, learning how to fight, you know, I was still a punk back then. So I would love to say and that, you know, because I learned and I knew how to fight now, I didn't get into any more street fights, but I still did. Mm -hmm. But what it did for me in the beginning was it gave me this sort of, you know, a lot of times you get into fights and you get angry because you're threatened. Yeah. Sure. But learning the martial arts, um, I think it minimized the amount that I felt threatened about and it did minimize the street fights, but it didn't stop it. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think the story about you getting kicked and, and running out of karate class was that's in your book, isn't it? I, I read that part. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. So if you don't know that he's uh, Ensign is not only a martial artist in a in a UFC fighter and a Shuto fighter and a Valley Chuto fighter, he's also a movie star and a, and an author of books. And he's been on he's been on TV. He's been on Hawaii Five O. 
played Mr. Cole, right, in Hawaii yeah. Five-0. That's <laughs> right. Cole. Yeah. Also, Red Belt. You were in Red oh. Belt, weren't you? Sorry, he was in Red Belt. Yeah, the movie yeah. Red Belt. Yeah, yeah what yeah, was that, that was line? Awesome. <laughs> Never pick the black marble. <laughs> <laughs> Red Belt. That was such an experience, man. Uh, that being, that was my first time in being in a Hollywood production. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, the, the magnitude of a Hollywood production is so incredible. I My off days, I stay. I was, I was on set mm. watching everything happen, man. It was so interesting. Cool. How was it like to work with uh, Tim Allen? Who's that? Tim Allen. Oh, I mean, I never really, I was, I had such a small part. I didn't really interact with him at all, but mm-hmm. I did see him there. And I, I realized I didn't know really who, know who, he, who he was when I first met him. But I just, uh, I just thought, you know, that's cool. I watched him, but actually on set, I met, I got to meet a uh, um, boom, boom, Mancini, man. Oh, cool. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> More than Tim Allen, Boo Boo Mancini, man. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. yeah forget about Tim. Yeah. Tim who? <laughs> her, 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 her. <laughs> let's uh let's get back into fighting a little bit and talk about like um like you you you're progressing your martial arts obviously and then you first started fighting in was it was it Valley Chudo or Shuto that you first started in? Uh, it was a shooto match. It was a shooto match. Can you tell us about your like your first few matches? Yeah. Okay. So the reason, the whole reason why I got into martial arts wasn't because I thought I was good. It wasn't because I thought I could win. It wasn't for fame or money. Because mm-hmm. back in the day, there was no fame or money. Right. So the reason, reason why I got into martial arts was because I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to learn how to control my anxiety, control my fears. Right. And so when I went into the the, you know, I never thought of um, being a professional martial artist. So when I first saw, I was training Gracie Jiu-Jitsu for a while. And when I went, moved to Japan, Hicks and Gracie came up in 1995 to fight in the Volatudo Japan. Mm-hmm. And of course, because I was really close to the Gracies, um, we, I got tickets. So I went to watch it. And I remember sitting in the stands when Hickson won. And I'm usually a real calm. I'm not the type of, I'm not a boisterous uh, fan. I would sit there and be quiet and kind of in the inner go, yeah, he won. But for some reason, because it was a, like, it was like a street fight, a controlled street fight. Yeah. When Hickson won, he beat this guy, David Lubecki, which he was huge, just way bigger than Hickson. Yeah. I remember jumping up on my seats and mm-hmm. screaming, yeah, you know, in the air. And I was like, whoa, I, I caught myself like, man, I can't even control my emotions. That's where I had this little inkling in my head, like, man, I got to get in the ring. I got to try it at once, just once. Yeah. I got to try to feel that energy, feel that fear. And whether I can control it or not, at least I get that first experience where possibly in a situation in real life where I, I get into a car accident or we get start getting mugged and I got to protect my girlfriend or my wife or my mother. Mm-hmm. I want to be as level-headed as possible. I don't want to panic. So I thought getting in the ring once would be a good experience for me. So I went, I was living in Japan. So I started looking through all the different fighting associations. I saw rings. I saw Pancras. I saw UWF. Oh, yeah. Or Shuto. My first pick was uh, <clears throat> UWF. I called them and they said, um, oh, actually, my first pick was Pancras. Okay. I felt like, you know, Pancras, I mean, they had the ground, a lot of ground. They had great rope escapes, but. 
still there was you know, I could use my ground because I was a ground fighter. So I thought Pancras would suit me the best. I called Pancras. They told me, uh, you need to wait for the new boy tests. So send in a resume. I took a picture of myself, sent in my resume to Pancras. Uh, then I called um, UWF. You UWF had this real weird rule. Like you had to be a certain age, a certain height, a certain weight. Like, right. What does that matter? Hmm. And little did I know, little and behold, it's pro wrestling. So they want the guy to look big and strong. Right. So I was like, that's weird. It doesn't matter how big or how, how tall you are, if you can fight. So I put the phone down, cut the phone on that one. And then I called Chuto. While I was waiting for the Pancras auditions, I called Chuto. And the guy at Chuto was the first Tiger Mask, Sayama Sotoru. Oh, right. Yeah. And awesome. Just, and he just looked at me and I told him, you know, I had a little jiu-jitsu experience. I want to, you know, try and fight in the ring. If not, at least be a sparring partner for some of the champions. I think I could be a good sparring partner. And he, I mean, lo and behold, he kind of said, okay, come down. And I'm saying, that, whoa, come down. Wow. Like, holy shit. So, where, was, where was their gym at? Where was their gym at in those it days? Was, it was in Saitama Omiya. Oh, okay. I know I know this gym. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I was in, uh, I was actually in Koryama in Fukushima. Right. I was teaching English up there. Right. And when he told me to jump down, I jumped on the next Shinkansen the next day. Sure. And went down there. And when I went down there, the gym was empty. I went into the office. Sayama was there. The... Um, Mr. Yamazaki, who's became the fourth Tiger Mask. And they were all in the room. And then I told him about, you know, I did Gracie. He goes, oh, can I see you move? I said, yeah, sure. I said, what do you want me to do? He goes, takes me to the gym. There's a little guy stretching out. And he goes, can you wrestle with him? I'm like, oh, yeah. I said, I'm thinking, oh, shit, this guy is like 30 pounds lighter than me. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I guess I could wrestle with him. So... We get on the mat. We, we just wrestle. Um, of course, in Japan at the time, they didn't really understand jiu-jitsu positioning. Sure. So I, I took the mound. I took his back. I took, I mean, sweeped him from the guard. It was like, this guy was like, I thought, why is he letting me spar with this small little guy? And he's a beginner. Mm -hmm. So after the sparring, he said, we sit up and we're talking. And he looked, Sayama looks over at the guy and goes, man, we can use this guy. And I'm thinking to myself, what does it mean by use me? Because he kind of used it. Uh, Konito skaimasu, he told me. Like, you, don't really, you don't usually use that for people, yeah? Sure. So it's like, oh, shit, what does he mean by that? <laughs> <And then laughs> he told me, I want you to make your pro deal in three months. And I'm like, whoa, no, wait, wait, wait. Break, put on the brakes. But I'm not a pro. I just want to <laughs> fight in the ring once in an amateur ring. And he goes, don't worry, don't worry. I got it. And as time, I went, so I moved into the gym there and I, lived at the gym and trained every day. And as I trained, I found out, started seeing that little guy in magazines and found out that guy was Nakai Yuki. Oh, I know. I know. I know Nakai-san, of course. Yeah. 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 So he's like the head of the jiu-jitsu in uh, Japan now. IBJJF. Yeah. 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 Oh, so Tom, that's how I got started, man, in Japan. And it was one mm -hmm. fight at a time. It was like after I won the first one, I said, okay, I'm done. And then, bam, the next week, I get a huge color page. I was the second fight of the night. And usually we get a little black and white name in the magazines. Sure. But I had a huge color page. And I was like, holy shit. Oh, so man, that's I a lot of money. I was excited and say, okay, the next one. We want you to do the next one in Volley 2 Japan. I'm like, oh, oh, wow. 
it's a 50 seater 50,000 seat arena and I was like whoa oh, shit. I'm only supposed to fight once <laughs> but I felt an obligation for you know Sayama dedicated three months of his time to train me for the fight and I felt man you know what I can't just say thanks goodbye I won I'm done I said I have an obligation to fight at least one more time sure and I did and I won and I wanted to quit. And then he was saying, okay, one more time. And like, boom. Up into the fort, like, fort fight, it was actually one at a time. One more. Okay, one more. Okay, one more. Okay, one more. And the fort fight, I fought Andre Menard. And he was like a prominent K-1 fighter. Yeah. And when I beat him, I I kind of had a little click in my head. Like, oh, wait a minute. I'm good at this. Maybe I, I want to see how good I am. And that's when the whole movement changed from one fight at a time to a career. Sure. It's an amazing yeah. story. Well, Tom, go ahead. My question goes off of that. Like, uh, like how how are you feeling or, like, what was going through your head? And, like, how, how do you feel now about, like, basically, like, you didn't set off to be professional in any of this. You just kind of fell into it. And also, like, from what I've read about your career, you were no, – I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trashing your ability and saying you're not talented. You're obviously a very talented fighter, but you're also kind of right place, right time, where you just kind of, like, went from, like, some kid, like, yeah, I just want to learn how to fight so my lunch money doesn't get stolen to being like, you know, an actual professional on the cover of magazines and, you know, being in movies. Like, what was going through your head? And like, I, I guess, like during this time, like, how, how did you feel about that? You, you know, you hit that right on the nose, man, because the the only answer I have for you in that and how and, you know, how I feel about that, I feel very privileged and lucky. I was at the right place at the right time. Like you said, man, some people have dreams from their childhood becoming a professional athlete. And they do, if they even do succeed, it's a real bootleg level where they're never remembered. Mm -hmm. And I'm someone who didn't and just kind of went with the flow. And it almost like a rock ends up here in the river. The, I flow that way. That rock ends there. I flow that way. It was a lucky thing. To start because I fought in Hawaii is the only reason why I started martial arts. How lucky is that? The move to Japan was even a crazy move. I wasn't even, I, I didn't even know what Japan was. I'm of Japanese blood, but to us, Japanese nationals were weird people, girls with hair on their legs, crooked teeth. That's what we thought. <laughs> and when I went to Japan, it was only because Egan was actually the one that was invited to a racquetball tournament. And because he was so high on the pro tour, he was like number four in the world. I think then mm -hmm. he had many obligations. So they was like, damn, we can't have Egan back. Egan won the year previous. So they're like, damn, we can't have Egan back. What are we going to do? We want some celebrity. And we're like, Oh, what about his younger brother? And I was already retired from racquetball. And I was like, kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to go, but Hey, free trip, check out the, the country of my roots. And I, Actually, at the last minute, decided to go. Hmm. So when I went to Japan, you know, everything, I got lucky because I didn't, I didn't graduate from college, but I found the English school that would hire me. That's really lucky. I, my whole thing was racquetball tournament to, wait a minute, I'm in Japan. If I learn the language and I go home, I'll get a better job. So that went from that to, okay, I'll, you know, teach English. I found the English job, still not even, even the idea in my head not the slightest idea of fighting professionally i get a job at english school okay i think i've got in a couple of years i got english uh, japanese good enough okay i'm gonna go home i got enough japanese before i ready to go home another lucky break 
Egan calls me and says, Ensign, can you do the Japanese side of my racquetball company, the E-Force? I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, I guess I can stay a little longer. So I did that and decided I have to stay there until the company gets sturdy and I can hire someone and leave. Always wanting to go back to Hawaii, going back to my surfing, my diving, and my jiu-jitsu. And when that happened, I said, okay, I'm going to sell the, sell the um, I mean, hire someone for the company. I'm going back to Hawaii. And that's when I had this little idea, like, wait a minute. I want to get in the ring once. When that happened, the timing of that, Japan knew no Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. So the timing of me actually going in there and being a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu practitioner, only a blue belt, but still a practitioner, I was able to bring and introduce the art. And that's what, you know, create, I mean, the timing, the timing of how popular pride was. Yeah. Like, you know, the question is like, how, how do I feel about that? I feel lucky. I feel privileged. And this was in the early 2000s, right? When pride uh, was like huge. Yeah. So I was offered a, to fight in pride one, but I was a Shuto fighter. So I, I chose a title match instead of the fighting pride one. Mm -hmm. But from Pride Four, I think I think it started. It started really getting huge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I fought in Pride Five, Pride Seven, Pride Twelve. You know, so I was in the. I was lucky enough to be in that that heart of Pride when it was the pinnacle of martial arts in the world. Mm, yeah, that's right. Even before the two thousands, like in, I remember in ninety seven, I used to get videotapes. Cause I was friends with guy, Metz guy Metzger. Yeah. I was friends with guy Metzger in Texas. So yeah, I knew yeah. all about pancreas. I knew all about Japanese fighting and I was really interested in it. And the only thing that made me nervous was I didn't like leg kicks, but that's neither here nor there. But uh, I remember watching years later when I was already in Japan, uh, I remember watching your fight against Frank Shamrock. That that's an amazing 1997, fight. 1997 Valley Chudo. Yeah. And that, that one, that one didn't have a, the result that we expected but the amazing part is you could see how much your brother loved you man from that fight because <laughs> what does your brother do you get you get stumbled a little bit he thinks you're getting attacked you know instead of a standing eight count he thinks you're getting hit again your brother is like over the ropes like you know charging at him like a bull and he grabs frank shamrock from the back and just pins him up against the ropes that was amazing and i was like i was like watching it stand up going, oh fuck what the hell just happened <laughs> That's what happens when you have stupid 10-8 count rules. Yeah, uh, yeah. Can you believe that? They actually, in MMA, they had a 10-8 count rule if you get knocked down. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe that. Right, yeah. It's really, really weird back in the old days because the rules were, like, really strange. They changed, like, from we'll, – we'll go over, like, different rules because you were one of the pioneers for that as well because you were, like – when you set up kids' fights, you were, like, uh, round one is kickboxing, round two is MMA rules. You were the first one to do that. Yeah, and yeah. and now and now that's a staple in in MMA, so now everyone's <laughs> doing that. So, you, but um, but that amazing fight is because like, if you watch you and Frank going at it, first you're you're on the ground, and I can see you're using your jujitsu, and you're got, you got him in full guard, and then you did a, this kind of cool move where you bridge and you you wrapped your arm around his head, and then under his arms you would do an uppercut, boom, and hit him from, from <laughs> between your stomachs, right? But you go in between the stomachs and hit him. And I was like, "That's so fucking cool!" And I was like, "I gotta, I gotta keep my eye on this guy." And that's like when '97 uh, is like when I first started to know who you were in fighting. Yeah, that's cool, man. Amazing '97. 
Yeah. And then, of course, I know like uh, like Melchor, he was uh, he was there as well. I, I could see him. He used to have hair back in those days. <laughs> he's like, he's running around the ring and then everyone's trying to get like, like Egan off of Frank Shamrock. And yeah, oh, what a great, what a great fight. Exciting yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Had a little brawl. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about like, how did you feel about that fight? Like, uh, of course, that fight didn't come, did the outcome didn't go your way. But um, what did you think about that fight? Um, I was that was the first time I've actually uh, got to exchange blow blow standing. Oh, round before two. Before then, before then, I was really uh, a little afraid of standing. You know, getting hit in the face. And yeah. So I was really hesitant. If you notice all my other fights before that, I always went for a takedown. Yeah. Because I, I, I was always a jiu-jitsu practitioner, so I didn't really like to stand. And that fight actually opened my eyes and, hey, wait a minute, standing ain't that bad. I mean, come on. We threw down. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Round two was amazing. Like <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, we threw down. Uh, I can hear. Is that Tamashi or Calgaro in the background there? That's Calgirl, right? That's Tamashi. Tamashi. That's Tamashi. Yeah. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Bernie's right there. Bernie's right there. <laughs> Calgirl's in another room somewhere. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go back yeah, to... So, I can, going back to uh, that three dogs. Yeah. yeah, three dogs, man. Three, three uh, uh, American bullies. Oh, my God. I'm Ooh. assuming that you're not located in central Tokyo. Am I correct? <laughs> no, we're, I'm in Saitama, a little bit in the suburbs, yeah, so it helps out. Oh, uh, here he goes. Yeah, three <laughs> big dogs like that. Those those are beasts, man. <laughs> wow. Nice. Adorable little beasts. I'm a dog guy. I love dogs. Me too. Cutie pies. Yeah. You know what's amazing about this breed is that uh, because they've mixed in the bulldog, they're, they're super good natured. They don't try to kill every other dog they find. Like I had a pit bull before, and man, get, keeping him off other animals was really hard. Yeah, yeah. these guys are watch—they're so mellow. You stick your hand in their ear; they don't care. You can poke their eye, you poke their nose. <laughs> there's no, there's no aggression in them. They're super mellow. You can, you know, you can make trouble, but they don't do anything. Oh, that's that, awesome! You're running a kennel, right? You got, uh, you got purebred kennel as well. Is that correct? Yes, we did. Um, we I started purebred kennels, but the only thing with that is when we had our first litter, my wife Sarah, she just she bawled and she had seven puppies, and she had like this little huge <laughs> all night cry every time we sold a puppy. So we decided to stop. We we got you know Bernie right here is like a specimen. Yeah, he's like a perfect bully. Yeah, but uh, we 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 I brought him over from Guam, you know, to breed. And I mean, they ended up, you know, $20,000 dog becoming a pet, you know, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he now, was supposed to breed and make all that money back plus more, you know, but he ends up just be getting dog food now. Oh, <laughs> now, is that how you got involved in koi fish? You're like, well, my wife won't mind if I give away all the koi fish. <laughs> well, okay. No, the koi, I always liked building ponds. So I built a pond in my yard. I bought some koi from the home center. And I've had those these koi for like seven, eight years. And I didn't even uh, notice that ever that they spawned. Of course, they probably did. And if, as you know, if koi spawns in a pond with a community of other kois and you don't separate them after spawning, they'll just get eaten. The eggs will just get eaten. No. Yeah, so 
I didn't know that. And one day I was, you know, I was outside and I noticed my koi's were like, kind of like fighting. Whoa. So I was like, oh, they're fighting. What's going on? They've lived together for eight years happily. So I'm watching that and I'm watching it. And then it's like, he, one of them kept rubbing up on the other one, like bumping it, bumping it, bumping it. And then next thing I knew about an hour later, there was all these little, I, I thought I was seeing things. There was all these little white dots in the pond. I was like, that look, what is that? That's, no, and I said, that got to be eggs. So I looked it up. <laughs> Apparently they were spawning. And I all I did, okay, now all I did was I wasn't planning to raise poise or anything. All I did, oh shit, they're going to howl. Okay. Let them howl, man. When they do that, the we're going to just have to wait. <laughs> so I'm assuming the... they weren't fighting. <laughs> there was a different kind of rubbing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, those are adorable. I don't think babies happen that quick, Johnny. Uh, no, I don't know, man. I don't know fish. Well, he said there were eggs, so the eggs came out. Okay, this is going to be our new intro to the Got Fit of Japan show. <laughs> dog song. Who let the dogs out? <laughs> those are adorable. Dogs They're out. Almost done. almost done. You guys done? You guys done? You guys done? <laughs> okay. And that's a show. <laughs> okay, they're done. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This happens every so often. And when I do some podcasts, they start howling. And I got I just gotta have them. I just gotta wait for them to stop. It's okay, but man. Anyway, no problem. What were, we, what were we talking about? Uh, koi fish, fish eggs. <laughs> koi oh, fish yeah. eggs. Yeah. And, and, you know, the koi, you know, when they spawn, they spawn up to up, up until 20,000 eggs, yeah? Ooh. So there was little lily pods in the pond, and I picked them up, and I noticed there were little eggs in them. Had no idea how to raise koi. I had no idea if they were going to survive, but I just put them in a little, separate little tank. Right. And... I saw I saw some fungus growing on them. I was like, ah, I guess I didn't do something right. The fungus, and I don't know what happened, man. I guess some some got fungus, but apparently some some hats because when I I looked really there's transparent little koi at the bottom of the pond, and I just started feeding them, raising them, and damn, dude, now I got about 140 koi that are about uh, eight inches long now. Wow, this and don't, I don't know what to do with them, man. Anyone in Japan has a pawn, I'll give them free koi's. I, I it's oh. like I have too many koi's now. Too many wow. koi's. That's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I think isn't isn't that kind of a thing? Like uh, the Japanese like gardens, they're, they're like they're very specific with the koi and a lot of the other stuff. They're extremely meticulous about how they're well maintained. Like not just that, yeah. like the grass, the flowers, like everything. That's they're just really picky. Yeah, I guess it's, like, a, it's a huge. It's it's almost like a rich person's thing. Yeah, koi's. Yeah, some of those koi's <laughs> yeah. can go for tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, yeah and you know these are. koi's too. They're they're um, the koi's are uh, they're really um, they're considered like a rich man's fish. Yeah. And you know and my you know my koi is, I got they're all hand raised. So I got you guys right here. So watch out. They, they, they don't fear the hand at all. They don't fear the reaper. Mm. Wow. Oh, they think it's food. Yeah, they, they think food's coming. 
Yeah, mm. look at that. They love it. There's all the babies, man. Oh my god, that's, that's a lot so of many. Fish. Now, that's stupid crazy. question: Are they edible? <laughs> I think they. I mean, fish gotta be edible, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> right your new business is sushi. <laughs> because I had so much koi, I had to buy a six thousand liter pond. Jeez. Oh, that's big. Yeah. Saitama. Oh my God! There these, she is. These guys are pretty hand trained too. Yeah, look. They, when the hand comes in, they come up to me. Look. Oh yeah, they think food's coming. Yeah. Oh look at that! They're beautiful. That's crazy. But that's my that's my uh little hobby on the side. So we went from Frank Shamrock to bullies to kois. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? We're all over this. Oh, I got tons of notes, guys. We can we can keep going. Uh, next, <laughs> it's a very interesting career tra trajectory on your hobbies, almost kind of like your martial arts. It's like, yeah, we'll do this, we'll do that. But this guy, like, probably never thought, like, you know, when he got like tripped up in his first like martial arts class in karate, like, I'm gonna do this for a living. <laughs> yeah, you never know, I might become a court breeder. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I think you are. Going back to what's next, turtles, turtles, snakes. What's next? Ah, uh, we, I got a snake over here, too. Oh damn! See, no. I might have just called it. I, I think it's a tour of Ensign's house. <laughs> Beautiful kitchen, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. Special special guest spot of MTV Cribs. Well, he's underneath now. What's that? Python? Ball python? It's a boa. Boa. It's a it's a um, yeah. Oh, it's a ball python. Yeah. Ah shit, he's in. He's in the on the bottom. So. It's trying oh, to stay cool warm. Animals. But you oh, know, those are cool. Is, uh, <laughs> my, my, my cousin had one of those. I like those. Look at my hallway. Oh, I bet it's all the all the pictures. Yeah, 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 I've seen this in the other videos. This is cool. This is like a little museum in its own. Yeah, it is. Yeah, all the different. Oh, that's awesome. That's this is awesome. My, uh, this is my warning from Shuto that if I ever hit a fighter after the bell, oh, I'm never, I'm never fighting in Shuto again. <laughs> classic, classic. He's he's kind of plaqued and framed as well. Oh, instant! <laughs> I got, I got a story I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, okay. I think was it last year you got a little bit of a little bit of a, um, a hairy situation about a stun gun in your car. That story actually saved my life <laughs> because. Really? Yeah, uh, so my wife and I were trying were trying to uh, move to Fukuoka, and uh, we wanted to go down there and look at houses and things. So we we were in a hurry, and we went, we were rushing to get to the plane. And in my wife's bag, she had a kubaton. You know what a kubaton is? No, it's what like is a, that? It's like a keychain, a long keychain with a point on the end. You know, like uh, a, okay. yeah, you, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. hold it like like that. And you can use it like like this, right? Yeah, like a pen, kind of almost like a pen, but it's like made of steel. But I bought uh -huh. that for her because I don't want her walking alone with, with you know, in, at nighttime without some kind of protection. You know, I told her how to use it. Yes. If you're going to hit, her, someone's going to hurt you, stick them in the leg. But anyways, when we go through security, um, that Kubaton is at the bottom of her bag and we'd forgotten about it. And then, uh -huh. the, then they, they, they uh, scanned the bag and they brought her, brought us over to the side and they said, oh, uh, they called the policeman over and the policeman looks through the bag and he pulls out the Kubaton and it's got a key ring on the end of it. And the, and the guy goes, is this yours? He points to me. And I remembered your story. You said in your story about the stun gun, girls can have that, but guys can't have that. And I said, 
I, I, of course, I'm not the kind of guy who's going to let my wife take the rap or anything. I'm like, I, I said, I said, that's my wife's keychain. I said like that in Japanese. I said, you know, that's my wife's keychain. What are you talking about? It's not a weapon. And he goes, that's your wife's? Is it yours? I said, I bought it in Akihabara, but that's my wife's keychain. I just bought it because I like the green color and I thought it was pretty. But the truth was, it's a Kubaton. And I remember that your story, you said, if you only said in your story, it was it was my wife's, you would have gotten away free. So that story ended up saving my neck. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, because it would have made a big, if you said it was yours, it would have made a big thing of it, especially you being foreign. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they would have taken me to jail and we would have missed our flights and everything. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> it was in the right. bottom. Yeah. It was in the it was in the bottom of her bag, and she never uses it, of course, because our neighborhood's not like a dodgy neighborhood. But uh, we forgot about it. It's just in the bottom of her bag. But the policeman, first thing he does, he looks at me and goes, "Is this yours? It's in her bag." I'm like, you know. Now I remember that story, and that's what saved me. That's what saved my neck. I I, I think. Yeah, yeah, you know, it was that stun gun thing for me was just a ridiculous thing. They, They're just um, looking for a reason to bother you, right? Because you're a foreigner. Yeah. Well, and then when they found out who I was to get an arrest on a famous person, makes yeah. the hits the headlines, and it's like they're doing their job. You know, they're they're finding people. Right. So everyone's it was equal. just unfortunate. I've had yeah. bad run-ins with the police, and they they're really uh they're really un unconstitutional. They can yeah. search you at any time. You know, they can. You know, it's like really crazy the laws here. But um, yeah, he's something that you know i love japan and it's one of those quirks that i got to deal with same here tom you got something yeah i i really wanted to ask him about that because like uh he's uh what's known as a nikkei jin so he's basically someone who's genetically japanese but was born abroad so i wanted to like ask you like your take about that because like me and johnny and jeremy are all like foreigners that like we're white guys that have been here for a long time but like you know if you're genetically japanese they just take one look at your face and they expect you to be japanese and like you're raised culturally elsewhere so like i want to know like what your experience is about like that and like kind of how you feel about that yeah it's actually it's actually um more more uh, beneficial for you guys because you guys look foreign and they expect you to be foreign mm -hmm. like when i first came to japan because i'm i'm japanese blood and i look japanese and without talking they think i'm japanese they expect you know as you guys know living in japan there's a lot of um etiquette yeah you know verbal yeah. etiquette you know like well, no, it's, it's not just that there's there's rules on top of rules on top of rules on top of rules and like multiple yeah. every situations yeah. yeah and 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 a small example is the etiquette where i'm sitting there i'm i you know i don't say itadakimasu when i before i eat they're like look at me or or you know you don't do the proper etiquettes and the rules that they have because i look japanese i look like a rude person but if I look more foreign. It's more like, oh, he's foreign. He doesn't know, you know. So being a, of Japanese descent and not being Japanese national, it really, uh, it's it's really unfortunate. It's it's really rough. <laughs> so yeah. um, there's also a, another example where where the way you look kind of influenced some people in Japan. I remember a story. Uh, I think it was on your Twitter account, which I follow. Uh, it, you saw a guy filming up a lady's skirt and you walked over to him and you scared you know you put the fear of you put the fear of the of god into him and, and like i said you you better delete that shit buddy well, tell us that story yeah um we were waiting for friends at a, a shingo kubo station or next to shinjuku station mm -hmm. and 
my wife actually noticed it first. She actually told me, Ensign, I think that girl, that guy's filming that girl. And so I stopped, I turned around, I looked, I saw, yeah, he was. And then he kind of, I guess he had a, like, he kind of got scared. I guess they're real careful. He put his phone in his pocket and he started walking away. And then I, I asked my wife, are you sure? She said, yeah. So I just walked up to him. I stopped him. I said, hey, you're filming that girl, right? And he said, no, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I said, I, I'm taking to, uh, I'm taking to the police right now. <laughs> I, told, I told him, I'm taking you to the police. He looked at me and I said, pull out your phone. And he, he got really scared. Cause he tried to forcefully leave and I kind of pushed his chest. Yeah. Kind of, you know, you know, when you, you grab somebody, the, the visual aggression and the sure. actual aggression he can feel with the squeeze and stuff mm -hmm. is totally different. So yeah, I made yeah. it real visually calm and, but I just really squeezed them. And then he put out his phone. I, and I said, you erase the, just, I know you did it. Erase it. And he looked, I didn't, I said, I'm going to take you to police then. And they're going to search your phone. And he was okay, okay, okay. I'll erase it. I said, okay. And so he, bro, he pulled it out the pictures. And then when he was deleting, bro, there was like 50 other videos oh. and photos of girls. Oh. Yeah. Oh, what a scumbag. A serial creeper. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I personally wanted to grab him, pull him to the back and bleed his nose and slap him around and, sure, you know, give him real, real, real fear. Yeah. But, you know, of course, then he could go to the police. And although I was trying to help someone, I could be in trouble. Sure. So sure. I, I decided to just, you know, just sit up and say, hey, dude, I said, fuck. In, in Japan, there are so many sex brothels, legal ones. Go do that, man. Don't do that to this kind of people. This is innocent people. Generally children, it, too, right? Property. Yeah. It's, it's young it girls. Property, yeah. Usually it's underage. Yeah. yeah. Often, yeah. There's no reason for that. Like Instant said, anywhere you go, there's there's places that you can go to get your tensions taken care of. But uh, you shouldn't be victimizing people. Well, we talk about this a lot of this a lot on the show when we do the news. We're not doing it today because we got you know special guests and special circumstances. But yeah, basically, yeah, there's dude, like there's free porn on the internet, and like you know if you really need a rub and tug, there's legal there's a lot of legal services that can take care of your needs. Don't be fucking like why and also. And like you say, you never know who you're going to met. Like you might have some scary dude like Ensign come up to you or you might get busted and your life's over because you get fired from your job. You get ostracized from your family and friends. Yeah. Like, yeah. What the fuck? Especially in it's, Japan. It's a, it, yeah. It, it, it's a really stupid thing to go down for. It's like, what? So you got a, you got a panty shot of, uh, under some girl's miniskirt. You can find that shit in the internet for free right now. Okay. True, true, true. Ensign, I got a question. When you grab the guy, did you kind of show him a little bit of your tattoos? You're like, hey delete that and then a little like pixie poo <laughs> you know what i don't need to try to show people my tattoos i gotta try hide them <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i got them me all too. Over, right? i mean <laughs> like i joined the um hot lava la uh, hot yoga this place called lava mm -hmm. and i had to cover all my tattoos dude i was a mummy walking in there yeah i had to wear a glove to cover this i had to wear a a headband to cover the back tattoo on my head. I had to wear a scarf to cover this tattoo. I had to, <laughs> wear, so hot. I had to wear socks to cover that. It's going to be I so hot. Yeah, I'm in a hot yoga where people are in leotards and trying to be cool because it's already hot. Yeah. And I'm walking in there like some hardcore yoga dude with a sweatshirt, 
long pants, socks, gloves, and headbands, and freaking a scarf, dude. You know, like you're gonna go skiing. <laughs> People must have been looking at me like this guy's fucking hardcore yoga, man. This guy wants to sweat on top of sweat. <laughs> uh, That's awesome, so man. funny. Yeah, we've all had those experiences. Um, let's let's swing let's swing back towards oh, fighting a little. Sorry, I want to just swing back towards fighting a little bit because I, I have so much research on fighting, and we have this opportunity <laughs> opportunity okay. to talk to a pioneer, man, a legend. And I I got so many questions. I'm I'm sorry if I'm being a bit of a fight nerd, but uh, I can rule, man. I want yeah, I wanted to talk to you about um your win over Randy Couture because Randy Couture, the time you beat him was uh, October 1998, and uh, you beat him after he beat. Vitor Belfort, who who was the phenom, who looked like a superhero out of a goddamn comic book. You know, he was like yeah. the used to the tits Vitor back in those days. And he beat yeah. him and then and then you came along and you just beat his ass in like one minute and thirty nine seconds of round one. You what the arm bar. When what did I that feel offered, like? Well when I got offered Randy Couture, I had it was supposed to be Dan Severn. Oh, okay, Dan Severn, awesome. Yeah. So I was supposed to fight Dan Severin. He had um, prior commitments, so they couldn't. So the Shuto guys called me and said, hey, how about Randy Couture? I'm like, whoa, Randy Couture? Yeah. I think that's biting off a little too much than I can chew. So I was like, man, is there anyone else? He said, Randy Couture. I said, well, you know what? I got nothing to lose. Let's do it. So the fight was decided. And, of course, I, I watched all Randy Couture's fights. And the last fight was he he knocked Vitor Belfort out with dirty boxing. Yeah. We're using Greco-Roman, stretching sure. hands and hitting as he was holding. Yep. So I, for that fight, I thought, you know, I got to get some Greco-Roman and I went to a um, college in Aoyama. Aoyama Gakuen. It's a, it's a, di- a college here in Japan. Yeah, I know it. Yep. And I went to that wrestling, I knew the wrestling coach. I went into just Greco-Roman like four or five times a week. And just try to get as prepared as I could. I was really um, disturbed by the way everyone, the media, my my coaches, my my fellow sparring partners, were on this little edge of like, oh, are you going to be okay? Kind of thing. Like, like I didn't have a chance. We just hope you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you're fighting Randy Couture. I mean, at first it was, you know, that of course it is what it is, you know, and, and I accepted it. Yeah. But after a while, after having it so negative all the time, I, it got to me like, fuck, man. Why are these people counting me out? <laughs> Randy's human. I'm human. His arm breaks like any other human being. He'll go to sleep. If I cut off his blood on his neck, he'll go to sleep like any other human being. If I got something on him, I can finish him. So I, you know, I had this little thing, this little chip on my shoulder about, fuck, I'll show you guys, man. Awesome. No one's unbeatable. He's human. And that's that's the reason, you know, when the as you know, the fight went really well. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to go on the full on hundred percent attack on Randy just to let him don't let him settle. Uh, I did actually did so good with the Greco Roman. He took me down. Mm-hmm. He threw me down to the ground, and um, I he was fighting. He fought in um, UFC thirteen when I fought Royce Alger. He that's won right. a heavyweight tournament. So I figured, okay, he's already knows that I do arm bars. And when he took me to the ground, I didn't think that he'd extend his arm so soon. So when he first did, I thought it was like a little bait. A trap. So when he did, I just, I didn't go straight on for the arm bar. I kind of swiveled my hips and set up the arm bar and wondering if he was going to let go of my head or he was going to, you know, it was a bait just to suck his arm on and pass my guard. Mm -hmm. And when he, 
locked the back of my head and put up his right hand or his left hand to punch. That's when I thought, wait a minute, he has no clue that I'm like a split second away from locking in this armbar. And that's right. when I just packed my leg over his head, locked it in. And Boom. it was a really unique feeling when I, I felt his tendons popping on my, in my, on my crotch. Sure. Whoa. And I was like, whoa, it went like pop like three times. That's, that's a I sign right him, there. Yeah. And then I felt him tapping my leg. And I, I remember thinking to myself, like, holy shit, Randy Couture is tapping. Wow. I've just beaten Randy Couture. Yeah. <laughs> so that was an amazing fight. And it went so fast. That was like one minute, 39 seconds of round one. Cause you went in there and you just attacked like a, like a pit bull, <laughs> like a pit bull, man. It was amazing. Yeah. Another another and one you, you know, you know oh, go from, ahead. You know, from all that joy of the fight, it was like, yeah, I won, I won. And then all of a sudden a switch went on my head, like, fuck all these people that thought I was gonna lose. Yeah. So I went up to my brother. If you watch the video, I went into him, I want to tell these fucking people to fuck off. And he was he Egan's like the real peaceful brother. He's like, No, yeah. don't do that. Don't <laughs> do that. And he I kind of pushed him away. Yeah, he's thinking about the mic. future. Yeah. <laughs> Grabbed the mic and I I, told, I remember saying. I said uh, to all you, to, to all the people who thought I was going to lose, I was supposed to say Zama Miro, mm. which means like in your face, you know. Right. But for some reason, Kutabare came out, which literally um, interprets to fuck you. Nice. <laughs> so I, 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 I essentially grabbed the mic and said to all of you who thought I was going to lose, fuck you, and threw the mic down. And um, That's so good. You know, it wasn't a show. It wasn't like today, you know, like they're trying to, plug up the fight or make it exciting it was it was words from my heart man and yeah when it came out i kind of like oh fuck what did i do then and then as i was walking back i said you know what that's exactly how i felt there's no bullshit there's no game i'm not wrong this is how i felt those and, are the real gladiator days yes no show yeah. yeah no no entertainment yeah yeah and um i i think I've, I've read about this about you like before you got into the ring you went in there with the mentality, I'm going to die today. And if I'm going to die, so be it. That's a true, like a Yamato Damashi. Like, a, I'm not scared of, I don't want to die, but I ain't scared to die. And you went in there with that kind of attitude. And I think you said you wrote letters to everyone just in case you died. Is that, is that true or is that just a rumor? Yes. Um, to all the people that, you know, for me, in the midst of battle, dying was probably at the time I thought was the best way to die. Mm -hmm. So for me, it wasn't dying was not the problem. The problem for me was dying and leaving the people that I care about behind, you know? Yeah. You know, you see, you hear someone die and, you know, you hear when someone dies, the first thing you want to know is, was it sudden? Did he suffer? Um, did, you know, how was he? Did he, like, when you do, you look back on his Facebook and he writes stuff like, oh yeah, I'm looking forward to next year and this year. And like, oh shit, he didn't know he was going to die. And then yeah. it gets a little harder. You know, if you notice, if you know that he suffered, it makes it even harder, you know. So for me, I was worried about that. So I wanted to express to the people that I cared about that um, I, I I accepted this. Cool. And don't You're ready. feel sorry for me because this is what I, I plan to have. And of course, depending on the person, the, the words were a little different. And these are all important people in my life. And I just wanted to make sure that if I couldn't make it home, after I left for the arena that they'd have those letters that would cushion the sorrow that they would feel of my passing. And that's what I, every fight. And every time I, I, I made it, I went to the, where I hid the, the letters and I burnt them all. 
Nice. That's a great story. That's a great story. Alona, uh, let's talk about one one last fight. I, I'm sorry I keep doing this, guys, but um, you mentioned it, so I wanted to talk about it. Uh, Hoy, uh, Royce Agler, when you fought him in UFC 13, you also beat him with an arm bar. But he he was a wrestler, right? He was a, a wrestler, and he, he kind of got on top of you a little bit from the beginning, and then you, you ended up turning it over, and you got like a belly-down arm bar on him. Is that right? Yeah. So what happened was he was uh, he was Mark Mark Coleman was actually dominating the whole UFC with his wrestling and oh, Royce, yeah. Royce Alger was supposedly a level above Coleman Ooh. and supposed to be the A team, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so, big news. That, yeah, that again the whole UFC broadcast was about Royce Alger, Royce Alger, an NCAA champion, Golden Gloves boxer, all Royce Alger, and it was like, oh, like I'm again left on the side, like oh, what about me, man? <laughs> so I think I believe UFC 13 was the last UFC that we could uh, fight had the option to fight barefisted. So of course I opted to be barefisted. Yep. And man, you know that that fight. I remember I I knew he was a good wrestler, so I figured I he's going to shoot for a tackle. So I fainted. He shot. I put him into a crucifix. Made a very amateur mistake when instead of before securing position, I started to throw elbows. And because he's such a good wrestler, he dumped me forward. I ended up having to put him in my guard. Yeah. Of course, back in the day, you know, at that time, wrestlers did not understand the, the guard position. Of course, yeah. So, yeah, I missed one arm bar. And then I think the, the missed arm bar was kind of the camera was blocked by the referee. So didn't I don't think people saw that. And then I, I secured the second one. I remember having the – I knew I had it in good. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, okay, now I'm just going to have to fight his pressure, his uh, resistance. And as I was arching my back and I'm trying to use, you know, you know, jujitsu, you use your hips. So you sure. lock the leg, the arm against your chest, yeah. start extending your hips. And as I was standing, he, he actually helped me out because he lifted me off the ground. Yeah. So the momentum of my hips trying to extend and the ground disappearing from my back created a pendulum. And I've I've popped a lot of arms before, but I've never popped the arm like that because there was, it was one big pop. It, it looked like it broke. No little, yeah, yeah. There was no little tendons. Bop, bop, bop. No, there was no puck, 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 puck. It was just a pop. Yep. And yeah, I think I broke his arm. Yeah. It looked like on video, it looked like it broke. Cause I, I've dude, I've gone over that fight a hundred times. Yeah, and, and it looked like <laughs> it, it looked like it snapped. It was beautifully executed. And then one yeah. cool little bit of trivia. The guy who interviewed you after that fight was Joe Rogan, a young Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan with hair. Well, Joe Rogan with hair. <laughs> yeah. A, a very skinny, a like a thin Joe Rogan. Yeah, a young man. Yeah. 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 How, if you don't mind me uh, in, in getting in here for a second, how was it to be on the Joe Rogan experience? <laughs> it was awesome, man. He had joints on the table. Um, I, I, I love going into Joe's... Uh, podcast because it's his real natural it didn't feel when i the first time i went in chuck pick, chuck lydell picked me up from the airport oh yeah and we went in together and it was like three of us just shooting the shit it, it doesn't didn't feel like i was getting an interview or it was like we're like you almost forget that you're in an interview because we're just it's so natural we're just talking it was pretty cool nice Chuck Liddell's a fantastic guy too. I had the opportunity to sit down and chat with him once. What a great guy! Good man, good yeah. man. 
And he, he, he does everything he can for the fans. He's a perfect ambassador for the UFC and for MMA. That guy is really, really kind. Unfortunate yeah. what happened to him with the UFC, though. Yeah. Very unfortunate, yep. Yeah. I love Chuck. He's like a brother to me. Yeah. You stayed at his house when you go to L.A., or, or, or is that? That one time I did, I spent the night at his house. That's cool. And tell me a little bit about who you're training right now. You're, you're training your, your wife, Sarah, and you also got Siyoshi, uh Sudario. Is that correct? Yes. And Siyoshi is fighting in Ryzen, and you said Sarah's going to? Uh, she is fighting and rising uh, next week, actually. We have a fight. Yeah, 27th. And uh, or- Sarah's fought in uh, Shuto. And because of the pandemic and her size, she's a, a heavier girl, so they can't yeah. find opponent. So we're waiting. Shuto's going to have a hard time. So I actually already talked to the rising people. Right. And they're 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 interested in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm also, I'm actually proposing to them to start a, a unlimited weight class for women. Oh, that'd be awesome. Some big girls. Yes. Yeah. So there's a chance, you know, Sarah might actually have the opportunity to fight Gabby Garcia. Oh, that'd be fantastic. What a great fight. Um, Siyoshi fought uh, the last, uh, the, the year end rising, right? In, in December, he fought a very famous guy, I- I- Ikuhisa Minoa. Uh, so we call him Minoa Man. And if you've been around fighting, you know that Minoa Man's a giant killer. Just like they used to call uh, <laughs> yeah. Yuki Nakai, giant killer. Because Minoa Man... He's been around since wrestling days. And if you don't know this about fighting in Japan, but fighting started, like uh, like Insta said, with UWF and then went to Valley Chudo, and all those things are connected. And and Minoa Man's been around forever, and he's still fighting to this day. How did that feel? Yeah. To get, how did that feel to train for Minoa Man? Well, when, when, when Rising first asked me if we could fight Minoa, that was like the furthest opponent from my head. I thought he, you know, he hasn't fought for a while. And yeah. I'm like, He's so much smaller, like Minoa, like holy shit. I was more thinking of putting on more muscle on Sushi. He's fighting the heavyweights, you know, he's a small heavyweight, so we gotta put more weight on him. Mm-hmm. And then it like curveball Minoa, man. Like, whoa, wait a minute, this guy's smaller than me. <laughs> so yeah, it was and you know, footlocks and you know, Tsushi only had one fight. He doesn't have a very good experience. He was still learning the ground, and I wasn't sure if that was a little too big to chew but we just went and, and that's what rising really wanted so yeah you know so she's really a company man and he likes to do what rising wants and we decided okay we'll, we'll take that fight and just got onto some crazy training on footlocks so like uh siyoshi Su- got a very interesting background he started out as a sumo wrestler i think yeah he was that- actually a, a all county uh basketball player basketball player first- okay then he went from basketball, he went to sumo. All right. And then he dropped like 40, was it 40 pounds to get to, get he to light like, heavy? He, he dropped 100 pounds. Whoa. He wow. dropped 50 kilos from 50 kilos. Okay, that's retired. what I heard. Yeah, yeah. He dropped a lot of weight. Kilos. Yeah. And he's kept it off. He's looking he good now. Yeah, he does look good now. He looks a lot different. Yeah. You know, you know, you know Tsuyoshi, uh, the thing with him is he's a... Uh, He's a huge, huge guy, a lot of power. And you know what he is? Is he's like a middleweight. Mm-hmm. His fast twitch muscle, yeah. His his balance, his coordination is incredible. He's he's got he's twenty three years old. Young one, yeah. He's a baby. He's a baby. Yeah. And he's already passing purple belts guards. He's <clears throat> he's 
he's going to be unreal. He's somebody to definitely watch, and he's definitely someone that will be in the UFC in the future. Oh yeah, I can I can guarantee that. Yeah, you can see that in his fights. I've seen I saw his first fight, and and I, of course I saw the mean mean old man fight. I was there, and and he's he's got it. He's 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 got what it takes to make it if he just stays on that straight and narrow, like you said, put on a little bit more muscle, and then stay on that straight and narrow. He's got a UFC career. Yeah, and his next opponent is gonna be interesting because this guy's huge, and he's this guy benches six hundred pounds. Jesus, Louise. Whoa. So Monster. big boy sounds like a tough kid because because he's not that type that barks a lot and you know talks shit. He's real quiet and and I'm thinking he's gonna be mentally and uh, emotionally really strong. Mm. So <clears throat> I'm looking forward to it. We 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 need a strong opponent to to display a lot of Yoshi's toughness and his power. So yeah, I I, I want I my whole thing with this match is this is another pro wrestler coming to fighting. Mm-hmm. I would like him to get the fuck beat out of him. No kidding, yeah. Let him understand that hey, there's there's two different. This is two different sports. Respect yeah. fighting. Don't train for six months and jump in one of the biggest rings in Japan. Get you know we. I, I would never take advantage of going into pro wrestling, you know, without training pro wrestling, without properly studying it for a year. Yeah, no you know, kidding. He came in. Yeah, I mean, he, I I hope he's tough because the longer he can hang in, the longer we can beat him. Yeah, and that's a that's a case, and it's always been the case in Japan. Like even back in the day, like when Japanese wrestlers would go to challenge Hickson in Brazil, and then Hickson's like, "Okay, you can come in, but all the media's got to stay outside." And he brings that guy into the into his dojo and whoops the shit out of him for like an hour. That was in L.A. Oh, is it in LA? I thought it was in Brazil. Okay, that was in that LA. Was Hickson's studio, and I know, I know that guy, Anjo. Yeah, Anjo. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And is it true that Anjo has never spoken out about that yet? Um, not very much, because no one's ever seen. Only a select few people have ever seen the videotape, because one person was allowed to videotape it. But Anjo came out of there, yeah, and I, he was fucked up. Anyone remember I saw the, the video. blood? You saw the video. I yeah. saw the video. Yeah. Only, only a certain the regular public has never seen it. Only a certain select people have seen it. I'm actually thinking of uh, getting together with Anjo and interviewing him about it. Oh, that'd be awesome. Uh, and, and and I'll ask him all the dirty down questions on why, what happened, what, when did you do this, why did you do that, what did you think. Get everything in his head. Mm-hmm. That'd I be think a the great world interview. Wants to know, man. Oh. <laughs> I definitely want to know. I want to know exactly what happened that day. You could yeah, do that on Got yeah. Fit in Japan if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you could. Yes, exclusive for Got Fit in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> right, last, like, no. <laughs> last question I want to ask you about is your shoulder. How's your shoulder doing? Because I remember seeing a picture of you on your Instagram or, or on your Twitter where you were getting your shoulder worked on. Is that okay now? Well, see, look, it doesn't go behind this far. See how oh. far it is now? It stops oh, there. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and then lifting it up front, it goes up okay. Yeah. But sideways, this is the highest I can lift it. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, no. so apparently inside there's, um, before my Randy Couture fight, I dislocated my sole shoulder. Mm-hmm. And without, um, I didn't, I didn't want to, go to the doctors and, and reveal the injury because the Shuto guys would have canceled the fight. Sure. So I, I just taped it up and fought with my shoulder like that. Okay. And apparently after that, I 
the you know they started they started uh healing out of socket oh no and i just trained and and sucked up the pain and and right now it's actually there's because it was a little out of socket when every time i moved it it would grind bone on bone sure oh, no. So now, now there's a deformity in the bone where mm. where it's supposed to be round in the shoulder cuffs there's yeah. a little deformity turning down where it's locking it where i can't lift it be, not because it's tight is because it just the bone is hitting bone yeah right it oh, stops there man is there anything they can do for that like surgery because i know shoulder surgery is a murderer man that's terrible well, what they told me was i would have to go get surgery and grind down the bone wow so i'm like uh no thank you so yeah I'll pass <laughs> i'm trying all these different other options yeah like that that massage guy charges 160 dollars for 40 minutes wow what he has is he does these weird adjustments that you don't really feel it, but like you saw, yeah, my arm went up, man. It went all the way up. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. So yeah. I've been seeing him like once a week and uh we're trying to get it working. But yeah, of course it went back to being tight. So yeah, it's gonna know, take it's a while to break thing. down that tissue, right? The scar tissue. And with that price that he charges, I can't do it once every day. Yeah, me either. <laughs> <laughs> me either, pal. <laughs> All right. Um, so, hey, um, Ensign, thank you so much for being here with us today, man. I really appreciate it. Johnny, what do you guys have left on your on your uh, on your notes? I've got like three or four hours worth of questions about fish <laughs> and dogs, but that's, that's actually, for another podcast. Can I ask, like, actually, we, we didn't talk about it earlier. I actually wanted to ask him about some of his charity work that he's been doing. Oh, fantastic! Go ahead. Man. <clears throat> Well, no, because like I, I know you've uh, volunteered up in uh, Tohoku and I, I went to Ishinomaki like twice and did like three long day weekends and yeah, it was good. It was I drove very, up a week good. after the tsunami hit when there still were bodies around and the, the army was basically clearing roads only. Hmm. And hmm. after the clearing roads, the next step was uh, finding the, uh, you know, weeding out the bodies out of cars, out of buildings, out of rubble. And I was I was fortunate to I went up to Kodiyama because I used to live in Kodiyama to check on my friends. Of course, that Kodiyama is not a, a city on the coast, so there was it was only damaged by earthquake. Mm-hmm. My friends were all okay, and as I was up there, I got a call from another friend that asked me to, can you check on her friend up in the north? And I'm saying, okay, I'm already up north. Where is he? Give me his address. I'll check him out. She gives me the address. It's all the way from. All the way to Miyako. Oh, Miyako. That's a bit far. <laughs> so I put it in navigation. I'm like, what the fuck? Five more hours up north. He's okay. <laughs> so I jumped in the car, went up there and uh, visited him. He was okay. His house was trash. Um, he, I, I asked him if, uh, you know, everything's okay. He said, if you want, you can come take a look at some of the evacuation centers. So he took me there and... Mm. When I saw that, when I saw these people, mostly elder, living in cardboard boxes, oh no! I just had this little thing that I gotta, I gotta help, man. I gotta do something, man. So since then, I've done, I'm, I've done sixty missions. I've been up there sixty times, volunteer work. Uh, first was all cleanup. Now it's bringing supplies and bringing these basic necessities to the people. Now it's, uh, you know, ten years later, still doing it because. Like I said, man, the 
um, I'll probably be doing missions up north to help the people to the day I die because it's never ever going to be back to normal. Yeah. So, yeah, I do missions up there. I mean, for me, as as you know, if you if you've grown long enough, the the true happiness in life isn't the happiness of receiving; it's the happiness of giving. Hmm. And I I, 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 I have a bracelet. So God, man. I, I was so sorry to God you say that, like, because, like, no, I don't want to, like, I don't want to take, like, you know, time away from him, but, like, I was kind of, like, when that happened, like, I was kind of going into the dark path. One of my friends, like, was up there and kept telling me he quit his job to be full time up there, and, like, like going up there and like helping people, like, put me on a better path, and like, I really got my life sorted out. That was like, that was a game changer for me. So whatever I did, like, donating my time and like, you know, my labor, like, I was, I was more than happy to do it because it put me like right back on a much better path. Yeah. So I, I would, yeah, nice. I would say that. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's an awesome feeling. You know, I have a bracelet company that I have. It's not a it's not a nonprofit. I don't. It's not all the money is going to go to the north. It just all the money comes to me. I just choose to lose the money up north. You know, so man, everyone says like, "Wow, you're spending your own money. You you you're you're not getting any any reward financial rewards from it." But what people don't realize is I'm getting what money can't buy. I'm that that. Giving, giving, buying shoes for a lady who's lost everything, mm-hmm. giving it to her, having her hold the shoes on against her chest and starting to tear up in her eyes and looks at me, doesn't know who I am, doesn't know I'm a fighter, doesn't just thinks I'm some big guy wanting to help, looks at me, starts crying and says, thank you, arigato, arigato, turns around, walks back to her cardboard box, sits down, hugging the shoes. Money can't buy that. Yeah, amazing. You know, so I'm getting a lot out of it. I'm not this great guy that's doing shit for nothing. I'm I'm helping out. And we're doing. I'm doing. I'm getting shoes for kids up in the orphanage now, every year, and I'm getting so much out of it. Like you know, if anyone who's already learned that the true happiness in life is the happiness, happiness of giving, you guys know how much I get out of it. That's a so, great point. Yeah. I think you you said you're also supporting an orphanage up there too, right? Yes, yeah, so orphanage I've been supporting for eight years now. Right. Yeah, every year I used to bring the, the kids gifts like shirts, um, backpacks. And one year we did shoes. And the following year we did like Hawaii keychains. And uh, it was like a law. Um, it was leather um, customized keychains with their names embroidered in them. So I got them cool gifts every time. And we got to a point where it was like, fuck, man, we're running out of shit to give them. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself. One year, the way they probably use the shoes every day, they'll probably kids grow fast. So they yeah. need a new size. The shoes will be old. So I I talked to the um the principal and I said, you know, I'm thinking of just giving them new shoes every year. And he was like, man, instant, that would be so awesome. So that's what we're doing. This unfortunately, the last year um, to 2020, because of the pandemic, we couldn't go up north. Okay. So we ended up um, buying all 88 shoes in december at the store and man sending them up was four huge boxes we <laughs> sent them up to the north yeah and they didn't expect them yeah they figured that uh oh, instant can't make it this year and all the kids probably you know felt they weren't getting shoes but man i couldn't let them down man and you know because of the pandemic i have a shop a bracelet shop in hawaii that i couldn't yeah. open right uh, my finances are really bad and and in october 
I really wasn't sure if I'd be able to afford, you know, getting them shoes because I had to buy all 88 at one time. You're talking like three to four grand in one shot. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 I remember thinking that I got to do, I, there's no way, man. I, I don't, I can't disappoint these kids. And the universe works in strange ways, man. You know, I got, I started getting a lot of orders. I found Siyoshi, I'm getting percentage of his fight money. And it came to, it came down to our borderline, but I actually was able to afford it. And I, and I was able to purchase it. Mm. And because of the snow and the pandemic, they told me, you know, they don't know when it's going to get up there. I said, there's no rush. This is not a certain time that I need to get the shoes up just to get it up before and by the end of the year. Right. And the universe worked again. And you know what? They had arrived. It arrived on Christmas Day. Oh, Christmas miracle. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it was so awesome, man. And, you know, we, me and Sarah are actually discussing, um, we need to, we're probably going to have to do it once a year now because of the pandemic. We can't go up there, but I, I am planning a trip up later on this year to, to the North because I used to take care of people in a 2000 family, uh, temporary housing. Right. But Japan decided to, after the eighth year, they decided to put these people back into the radiation. Wow. Oh, so I've yeah. lost all touch with all these people. Mm. Mm. So the, the as you know now, there's no there's no um, exclusion zone. You can drive around. You can drive all the way up to the plant, pretty much. Oh no! Radiation is yeah. still high. I mean, if you go in and out in a day and spend three hours in the radiation zone, it's like taking a chest X-ray. So that's not too bad. Okay. So we're me and my wife are planning to go up there one day and take the whole day, a couple of days, maybe drive around. I want to find these people. I lost when they put them back into the. We, it was such a sudden thing yeah. that I, I lost all touch with all these people. I had personal relationships with a lot of them and I want to find them because they're not, they're still hurting. Yeah, There's no way they went back to a house that was uninhibited for eight years and even being able to make it livable. I know a lot of people didn't even go back to their homes because it was, it was all corroded and busted up. Sure. After eight years of neglect. Sure. Yeah. yeah, so I'm planning a trip sometime after the after this week, after we finish the Tsuyoshi's fight, mm-hmm. to drive up north for a couple of days and just find people, just look for people, man. And, and Sin, is there any way that our listeners can help you? Like, do you have like a, a donation page or something or anything like that? I mean, our show gets pretty massive reach. I have an official um, a foundation. It's called the Ensign Inoue Foundation. And if you just Google that, it'll come up. And that's where you can make donations. I hate asking for money and getting donations. So, you know, another way to do it is you can purchase a bracelet on my, um, my I, destinyforever.com. I make, I make parcels. I personally make all of the bracelet parcel and bracelets, destinyforever.com. And it's not a, it's not a nonprofit. I cannot guarantee and say all the money is going to the North. But a big majority of it is going to be spent the way I want it spent, and that's the way I choose to spend it. Mm. So you know, not, there's a legit, legit nonprofit organization, Ensignore Foundation, and there's also my bracelets page that you can purchase and you know help me out, which I decide to help them and get something for it. Like it's one of my handmade parcel bracelets, real gemstones. 
<laughs> okay. Well, all right. Uh, we're going to put that in the show notes. And it sounds like the dogs are, uh, they need food. They need to go out and stuff. So I think this is probably a pretty good time to stop the show, man. <laughs> what do you guys They're think? Stop. <laughs> all right, Come on, man. Dad, let's go outside for a walk. <laughs> Thank you, Anson. It was great meeting you, man. Right Absolutely. Nice you. It's fantastic. And, uh, Thank you. Now, now that we're friends, give me a call. Give me a holler anytime you need anything. Oh, oh thank don't you tell so much. That. Thank you so uh, much. Like, it, it, it'd be nice to actually have this pandemic blow over. We can all just meet in a park and just, you know, drink some beers and just BS about life or something. That's 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 what I want to do with, like, pretty much everybody. That's yeah. the plan. We'll meet up one day in Japan. We'll meet up, man. We're all in Japan. You say in say Thomas suburbs, like, we're in, like, you know, me and, me and uh, Johnny are in, like, Nakameguro. So. Oh, shit. Okay, so you no, know, when the pandemic comes down, we'll make sure. Let's have dinner, man. I'll take you guys out to Shabu Shabu or something. Oh, nice. uh, I love that, man. <laughs> awesome. Sounds good. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. All right, guys, man. Thanks for thanks for what you guys do for MMA, man. Thank you. Cheers, man. Thank you. Are you at Harajuku with some out of town friends or your family or significant others? Yeah. Do you want to chill and drink beer and eat sandwiches while your friends overpay for glitter unicorn socks? Yeah! And the flavor's gonna make you complete a Harry Sandwich Company. So come on down to Harry Sandwich Company in the heart of Harajuku, right off Takeshita Street. See you there! Yo, what's up, faders? It's your boy, Johnny. I have an opportunity for you. Well, in fact, I have 50 opportunities for you. A few years ago, I painted all 50 American states. And in each and every state, I painted in all major city names, the state's cultural icons, pop culture that pertains to that specific state, and a whole lot more fun, interesting, and educationally groovy stuff. The project took me over eight months to complete, and now they're yours forever. I have digital prints available for download on the Spilt Inks Etsy shop. These prints started off at about five bucks a pop, but not anymore. These high resolution prints are a dollar each. They're yours for a dollar each. So brighten up your walls and expand your mind with your favorite state. These prints are a dollar each, and they're worth so much more. These are these, these paintings are absolutely incredible. You're gonna love them. And if you don't like the state project, that's cool, that's cool. Johnny still has love for you. But check out the Spilled Inks Etsy shop to find all sorts of other wild art that will save your soul and blow your mind. So go down to the show notes for a direct link to the Spilled Inks Etsy shop. Go there, shop away, support the show because we love you and we love art too. So faders, without further ado, enjoy the show. In Tokyo and craving soul food, we've got just the place for you. Soul Food House in Azabujuban. Check out what we do at soulfoodhouse.com. Come by and taste the love. We look forward to feeding you. Mitsuya Liquors. Yo, what's up, faders? If you're in Asia, if you're in Japan, if you're in Tokyo, if you're in Asagaya, you better get down to Mitsuya Liquors. That's right. For the most affordable prices in Japan, you can get over 300 different kinds of beer. That's right. Over 300 different kinds of beer. And of course, they got all the shochu you need, all the sake you need. And of course, they got wine from California to Italy to France 
to New Zealand. They got it all. When I say they got it all, they really, seriously got it all. There's no joke about that. So get down to Mitsuya Liquors. And if you go in there and you say, got fit of Japan, you will be more than welcome to go into their back room and drink those beers that you just purchased. That's right. Got fit of Japan at Mitsuya Liquors. And three times a week, they have a sushi chef there. So get your sushi on, get your drink on, get your fade on, and come on down to Mitsuya Liquors, located comfortably in Asagaya, about five-minute walk from the station. Mitsuya Liquors. Hey, yo, what's up, Vaders? Johnny here. You know I love booze and news, but I also love art. So come on down to thespiltink.com and check my art out. I've got tons of stuff there for you to check out. I've got paintings, I've got prints, I've got videos. And I tell you what, if you like a painting, I could probably sell it to you. And I tell you what, if I can't sell you that painting, I will definitely sell you a print. I've got prints of all my work. Prints are about 2,000 N each, about 20 bucks. But if you buy two, you get the third one for free. So come on down to thespiltink.com. Yo, and on top of that, I'm looking for commissioned work. So if there's something that you want me to do, I can make it for you. Just check out my stuff and see if you like my style. And if you like my style, I can definitely paint you anything on canvas, paper, whatever. I've done it all. So come on down to thespiltink.com. That is T-H-E-S-P-I-L-T-I-N-K.com. Thespiltink.com. Proper. If you're going to get your fade on, you got to get your fade on in style. And that's why I use Ghost Town Palmade. Ghost Town Palmade is the number one badass palmade. And I practice what I preach. When I leave this house, if I'm not wearing a hat, if I'm not wearing a lid, I'm wearing Ghost Town Palmade in my hair. This stuff is amazing. It smells good, it looks good, and it feels good. Ghost Town Palmade. Badass palmade. And let me tell you one thing comes in a lid. That's pretty badass. This whole world is so nerfed up these days. Everything is plastic and pink, but not Ghost Town Palmade. This stuff is a man's palmade, and it is hardcore. It's so hardcore, it's from Oakland, California. Oakland, California. That's right. Ghost Town Palmade. Get your fit on in style. Proper. That was epic. Oh, man. I feel like I just got out of the ring. Uh, I got a gold medal. I, I'm, I'm on top of the world right now. I've got the eye of the tiger. Dude, in my head, all I'm hearing is... Dun, 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 Oh, man. 80s movie montage roll now. Oh, God. What a great episode. What a great interview. Ensign. Oh, God. Dude. Oh, that guy is incredible. You know, the bigger the fighters, the cooler the fighters. Oh, man. He was awesome. And all the other fighters. We've had quite a few MMA guys on the show now. And um, yeah, they're all really nice people. All really cool people. Completely down to earth. It's awesome to meet those guys and have them on the show. And um, wow, dude. Topping that's going to be tough. (laughs) How do you top a mountain? You can't. Oh, man. Faders, thank you very much for listening to this very special episode of Got Fit in Japan. And you know what to do. Go to Patreon. Support us on Patreon. It costs you $5. It's like buying us a pint at your local bar. And if you can't do that because times are tight, don't worry. We still got love for you. 
but we do have iTunes. Go to iTunes and give us a five-star review and write something groovy. That's cool, and it helps us out. And on top of that, we've got Instagram and Facebook. Go there and check out all the free shit that we have for you every single day. We are dropping knowledge of the Japanese subculture, and you better be picking that shit up because we got it for you. Oh, man, faders. Oh, I'm so stoked. I'm so stoked. I'm, dude, I'm, uh, I'm shaking. Uh, uh, I can't stop. Oh, you know what I need? Happy St. Patrick's Day. Oh, that's taking the edge off. Oh, what a great show. Oh, fitters. On that note, we'll see you next week. Peace. My little brother, a goddamn shit sucking vampire. Oh, you wait till mom finds out, buddy. I've got a government job to abuse and a lonely wife to fuck. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. God, the pressure! I can't take it! I can't take it! I can't stand to it! You sure I should do this, man? We're going freaky! We came, we saw, we kicked his ass! Your move, creep. Oh, man. I will never forgive your ass for this shit. This is some fucked up repugnant shit. Ah, fuck it, dude. Let's go bold.